It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. All right, Saturday morning, we're back at it again. April 29th, six minutes, seven minutes now, seven minutes after 6 a.m. Glad to be back in the studio with you. Got Ann, got DeMarco, and hopefully you'll be a part of the show. A lot of great calls and a lot of great questions. Last Saturday, I know it takes everybody a little while to wake up, so they don't call right at 6 o'clock. It's okay. You have time. And I actually walked right into the building, right into a side studio to record some stuff and thought, I haven't even spoken yet today, so i got to get this voice warmed up. i got to get it going so the recording doesn't sound great, but we'll wake up together. 404-872-0750. Just came straight from the campsite, doing a little camping this weekend, finally getting back out in the warmer weather. And I know it's supposed to rain late into tonight and early tomorrow morning, but we'll deal with that as it comes. But two different families of deer just walking across the road as I'm going only 25, 30 miles an hour trying to get out of the campground, but loved seeing that. And they were not afraid of the headlights, not afraid of the car at all. I even got to roll down the window and talk to one of the little babies and just kind of stood there and looked at me. And then a possum scrolled, uh, scrolled across the uh, the street as well, didn't hit him. So a lot of creatures out and about at this hour of the morning. And usually my normal commute, I don't see anything. I pretty much get right on the interstate, and, and that's that. Thankfully, I don't see any deer. I've had my share of that on the interstate. I don't need that again. But, uh, yeah, go on the little side roads. It was kind of pleasant, kind of a nice surprise. So be part of the show, 404-872-0750. Speaking of wildlife, the more time we spend outside – the more conscious we are of the things around us, right? You've really got to take the time to observe nature. You're going out there tending after your plants. So, of course, you're looking at them. Do you have any insects? Do you have anything eating the plant? You know, is it growing well? Is it getting the sun it needs? Do you have to go out there and water? But being really conscientious of just everything around you. As you're mowing the grass, you got time to think about things, whatever. Out of sight, but not out of mind. So you start venturing outside a little more. Be careful of creatures lurking. And yeah, this possum wasn't lurking. He just walked right across a four-lane highway. But don't be too quick to maybe prune shrubs right now or cut down trees or just grab handfuls of yard debris without gloves. So the reason I say this, all of these things happen to me. Uh, Many birds are nesting right now. They may have two or three broods, two or three groups of eggs and babies, So I'm going to wait for a cardinal family to leave the nest before I drastically cut back my freeze-damaged lorpedlum, my Chinese fringe, those big unruly kind of shrubs with the small purple leaves. Um, I know for a fact I've got two different sets of cardinals nesting, one on one side of the house and one on the other. And I really want to cut those back. I mean, they they are all crispy brown leaves. They they finish doing their bloom, their little pink pom-pom blooms, gosh, probably back toward the end of March. Um, so those are almost to me like crepe myrtles. No matter how badly you prune lorpedlum or crepe myrtles, they're going to grow back. They're going to grow back. They're going to be just as unruly. Um, it's not like I'm cutting it right now before it gets cold, you know, and it's going to be susceptible to any freeze damage. It's going to have all the heat of the summer, all the moisture it needs to put on new growth. So I will be doing that. But being aware of that cardinal family, and I had to look it up on the Audubon website to see just how long she's going to nest, just how long it is before the eggs hatch. And then how long before the fledglings leave the nest? And always wear protective clothing, closed-toed shoes when you're doing yard work. Uh, You want to be safe, of course, but also beware of snakes and other critters, things that might bite, 
cause you to itch. Um, and so when we were mowing the grass, a baby bunny ran out in front of the self-propelled mower. And thank goodness we had time to stop. And it ran up against the house and it was just panting. It was so scared because we had let the fescue get a little tall. So it was just hanging out. So be mindful that bunny burrows could be anywhere in your lawn and in garden beds. And they could be burrowing for most of the summer from spring through summer. What you might see if you've got, you know, your grass is pretty lush, don't have a lot of bare spots, but there is just a small patch of dead grass on the lawn. That could be because the mother rabbit makes the nest, dug a small hole into the ground, and then covers it back up with grass and leaves and other plant material just to help protect the babies. So they're right under just a very thin layer of grass, plant matter, whatever she's used. They're vulnerable to lawnmowers. Gosh, that's so terrifying. Like I would just die if I heard a little baby bunny. So something to think about. Um, they're going to go through their little life cycle and all that. And snakes. I have all this leaf debris. Never really chipped it up into pieces or mulched it, but all this leaf debris in the front beds instead of uh, getting mulch this year. I mean, it, mulch would have a much nicer finished look to it, I'm sure. But the leaves just mounted all up around the, the walkway, uh, the lower pedalum across the front of the house, and just went to start moving some leaves around and weed that by hand. And lo and behold, there's a, a king snake, an eastern king snake, that I posted a picture of. And that is not a harmful one at all. Um, that's a good one. They are going to strangle out some other things. They could strangle out a bird, a bunny. Uh, they have fought with, uh, they've been known to fight with other snakes, and they particularly, they will attack and go after a copperhead and a cottonmouth. So that's good. This is a good snake, a beneficial snake, that's going to take care of a couple of the venomous ones that we don't want. So we definitely don't want to have to deal with cottonmouths and copperheads. Ugh. And I did post something on the Facebook page just about a week ago, um, Something, a, a link from the University of Georgia, the herpetology program of identifying the snakes in South Carolina and Georgia, but a pretty extensive list of the non-venomous snakes and then some vipers Ooh, and then coral snakes. But they have pictures of all of them. You roll over the names of these snakes and you'll, you'll be able to get a really good photo of it. Um, so posting that on the Facebook page for your reference so you know when you're working in the garden, wear gloves, make a lot of noise before working in an area they're just going to slither away from you, you know, unless you're close to something that they're trying to protect. They're going to slither away. Just make a lot of noise. But uh, the good snakes, we definitely need to keep the beneficial snakes. I think it's illegal to actually harm one that is non-venomous, I believe. So just be careful. Don't go at it with a shovel. By the time you go and get the shovel and come back anyways, it's probably going to have slithered away because it's more afraid of you. So leave them be. Uh, the Facebook page, search Facebook. Green and Growing WSB. That's all you need to search. Green and Growing WSB. And like the page, follow the page. I haven't been too active the last couple of days, but really post what I hope you find uh, good references, good materials, and good pictures for identification. And, you know, common questions that I get from a lot of listeners, whether they email or call the show or ask me in person, um, post a lot of that. And it may be something that you're wondering as well. So we'll get out to the phones, 404-872-0750. Up first is Scott calling from noon in Georgia this morning. Good morning, Scott. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashley. I really enjoy your show. First time caller. Thank you oh, so much. thank you. Okay, I have two questions about my gardenias. Um, they're um, about eight feet tall bushes. They're along the house on the uh, northern side and western side. 
And um, every year they just don't bloom. They only get like maybe five blooms on them and then that's it for the year. Um, been in the house for three years and uh, yeah, every year it's just like that. Wondering if I can fertilize or what I should be doing to get them to get more blooms. And how much sun do they get? The the western exposure ones will definitely get the afternoon sun. Mm-hmm. The northern exposure ones don't get much sun because um, the house kind of shades them where the roof overhangs. Okay. With gardenias especially, the more sun they get, the better. So okay. the ones that are getting that afternoon sun are going to be a lot happier, I think. Um, and are they all, even the ones on the, the other side of the house, are they all about the same height? They've all been there a while? Yeah, and the height's the next question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're about um, seven feet to eight foot tall. And I need to trim them down to about five feet because they're just over the porch rails now. And I'm wondering when's the best time to trim them. Okay, so that, that is a great question. Generally, as a rule of thumb, so we don't overthink things, we want to prune things when they're done flowering. That is the best time to do it. So okay. anytime after they're done flowering, go ahead and cut them back. As far as size reduction, though, uh, really we never want to take more than a third of the plant away because if you really, if you remove too many leaves on the plant, it's not going to be able to photosynthesize and do everything that it needs and capture the sunlight. You know, it's going to be kind of disproportionate. So we only really want to move, remove up to a third at a time. So kind of keep that in mind. So really when you're reducing something that's 8 feet tall, that's 10 or 12 feet tall, it's going to be in stages that you're able to gradually reduce the size of something that large. Um, So start with that, but also just kind of keep in mind the only time to avoid pruning when you don't want to prune anything that flowers is probably late fall. And the reason why, like that's when we're planting new trees and shrubs, you know, they're going to be able to acclimate to the soil. But the reason we want to avoid pruning at that time is because every time you prune a plant, all of the hormones send out signals to put on new growth. That's what it wants to do. It's been injured, so it wants to recover. So when you prune in late fall, it's going to have all this new growth on it. It's going to be so excited to be growing. And then, you know, the cold temperatures (laughs) are going to come within a month, two months, whatever. And that brand new growth is so much more susceptible to a freeze and to a frost and cold temperatures than the rest of the plant. So that's the only time to avoid pruning. But otherwise, Scott, and I did tell people January, February, March, you know, people kept saying, ah, mine were freeze damaged. They don't look good. I think they're dead. But the cold weather, I was just like, you know what? Don't prune them yet. We got to wait. We got to wait. So now that they're getting healthy, they're getting vigorous, they are putting on new growth, you could really start to prune anytime. Just when you prune before they flower or while they're flowering, obviously you're going to lose some of the flowers, but in your case, you're not getting a lot anyways. Um, And fertilizing, just fertilize when they're in active growth. That's when they're best able to take up the nutrients through the soil. So anytime you could. Um, The Espoma products are what I have. And I mean, you could buy them anywhere, but that's particularly just the brand that I like for fertilizing gardenias. But a lot of all-purpose fertilizers would do just fine. Just follow the label directions. Don't think the more fertilizer you throw out, the better. You know, it really has to be the right ratio to be most productive, but you could certainly do that too. Uh, Whether planted, the ground's really clay. It's like really compacted. So is is it best to kind of maybe dig it up a little bit before I put the fertilizer down so so it kind of works in better? Um, I mean, you could, but you don't want to work it around too much because you don't want to, you know, risk harming the The roots if you start digging around too much. Um, But generally, I think gardenias are fine with with clay as long as it was prepared properly when they were planted in the first place, which obviously they're still growing. So something was done right. 
Um, so you could work that fertilizer if you use like a granular. You could certainly work it in the first maybe inch of soil if you just want to use a trowel or something and kind of dig it sure. in and get it in there. But water it in and that'll just be, you know, really off to a good start. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you use a slow release one or if you use one that's like miracle Grow that kind of works right then and there. Either one, any food's going to be good. Perfect. I really appreciate your advice as always. And um, thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Really good to hear from you this morning. And also too, you know, pruning is good, not only for size reduction, like you're talking, but it kind of gives it a boost, right? Like you're pruning off the stuff that's just not really productive. You're pruning off some of the limbs that may not have as many leaves. And it's just giving the bush that much more open air to then grow new parts. And that's really when we may, with that, with the combination of fertilizer, really be, may be able to get a lot of new flowers. So it kind of kind of reinvigorate it to, to maybe start to bloom a little bit better for you. But yeah, gardenias, the more sun, the better for sure. Scott, good luck. I know you're going to do just fine. I have full faith in you. 404-872-0750. Back to calls and a little piece about bluebirds soon on the show when we return to Green and Growing on WSB. And remember, when you're back with us on Monday, May 1st, a new lineup here on 95.5 WSB. The Mark Aram Show, Mark and the Bananas, Deborah, Longoria, Sanjay, the whole crew, move to weekdays, 9 to noon, beginning on Monday. And then for your drive home, it's the Von Hessler Doctrine. So Eric and Jared and Tim and Autumn are all going to be on 4 to 7 to help you get through traffic. They'll make you laugh, just like Mark and the Bananas. Little flipperoo starting on Monday. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing from meteorologist Christina Edwards, calling for mostly cloudy skies today, but it's going to be nice. It's going to be a high of around 78. Stray shower possible in the evening. That'll continue into the morning with a high of 64 on Sunday and low of 50. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to do list this week. All right. If you have not started the vegetable garden yet, that's fine. You're just a couple weeks behind, but it just means you're going to have to wait that much longer for your squash, your tomatoes, whatever. Just gave DeMarco a tomato plant. So see, he's going to be planting that here in the next few days. It's, it's never too late. Uh, add good compost if you're able, because that's going to be so, so good for the plants. Add compost to fresh soil. Fertilizer can be applied according to recommended amounts on the label when the plants are put in the ground. But if you're starting something from seed, like me, I'm starting uh, bush beans and I'm also starting uh, eggplant. So the seeds, you know, my husband's like, did you fertilize them? And I'm like, no, they're seeds. They don't need fertilizer just yet. We got to wait till they germinate and then they start to grow roots. And then that's when they really want the fertilizer. So don't waste your money fertilizing seeds. Just make sure they stay wet, though. Make sure they stay damp so that they can germinate. You know, depending on what you plant, that could take 7 to 10 to 12 days. But go out there and check for the little growth. Keep them watered. Then you want to fertilize them. And remember, I just told DeMarco this, and DeMarco was like, I didn't know. When you plant tomato plants from the the little plant, uh, seedling, I guess, if you will, um, tomato plants can be buried in soil all the way up to the lowest set of leaves. So some of the stems get long and kind of gangly, and you're thinking, man, that thing's going to fall over or lay on the soil. It's so tall and leggy because it's reaching up toward the light. Bury it up to the first set of leaves, and all of those hair-like structures along the stem are going to become just more of a root system. Oh, my gosh, I haven't even gotten to number two. Be on the lookout for snakes, like I said, in leaf piles and mulch, bunny burrows in the lawns, and nests in trees and shrubs. And number three, be checking nest boxes to see if babies have fledged. Then you can remove the old nest wearing gloves, clean it up, close it up, and then maybe you're ready for another couple to move in. You could have a change of real estate all summer long. 404-872-0750. 
404-872-0750. More calls coming up next on Green and Growing. It's WSB. Good morning. Flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. All right. Waking up to 57 degrees. That's at least what it is here in Midtown Atlanta. It's going to warm up to a high in the upper 70s. It's going to be a pleasant afternoon. There are a lot of events events going on around Metro Atlanta. Some of you may want to check out my website to see if you're looking for something to do. And Taste of Marietta. That's this weekend, too. That's always a fun one. Anytime there's food and wine involved, I'm all in for sure. 404-872-0750. And when you check my website, it is wsbradio.com. Then you got to do backslash green and growing. And that'll take you to the website where you can uh, listen to the podcast of the show when the show is over, uh, read articles, blogs that I've written, questions submitted by all of you with pictures, some that you may think, oh, I've got that too. I'm glad so-and-so asked that and submitted that. Um, and then you keep scrolling a little bit further down and you get to the events portion of my site. So I try to be kind of all over the place for you, uh, not only on Facebook, but for those of you who are not, you have the website to reference, wsbradio.com backslash green and growing. Back out to the phones we go, 404-872-0750. Up next is Paige calling from Ackworth. Good morning, Paige. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashley. I'm so glad to be back home. I just got back from my trip to Fort Lauderdale. Ashley, I went to the most beautiful gardens. It's called the Bonnet Museum and Gardens on beautiful Fort Lauderdale. But I guess what? I couldn't leave without buying something. (laughs) Bring a piece of Fort Lauderdale back to Atlanta. I love it. I did. It's called a sea grape tree plant. And I'm looking at it now. Ashley, I don't know if I've already killed it. So the the lady, when I was checking out, said it's zone 11. Do you live in zone 11? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. But I know someone who could help me. So um, I want to show it to you. And I'm so excited that you're going to see it today. Um, I know you're coming to Ackworth Bloom, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm getting ready to head out and, and go to Robert's School in Ackworth right now and get the vendors. We've got somebody bringing, you're talking about vegetables. We have over 300 vegetable plants to sell, five varieties of peppers, tomatoes, strawberries. It's just unbelievable. And I have about 20 petunia hanging baskets that are gorgeous. You know, the thing about petunias, anybody that's going to buy one of those, you know, they're they're out at all the grocery stores and the nurseries and all of that right now, those hanging baskets of petunias, and the smaller version is calabrocoa, but they're all kind of the same. If you keep up with watering those, don't let them dry out because it's a hanging basket, so they're going to dry out a lot more quickly, but deadheading those, deadheading those just like you would pansies during the winter months, when you pick off just the expired, you know, part of the flower, that will bloom all summer long. So Paige, that's a great one. I mean, people will get enjoyment from that for the next four or five months. 
Oh, well, that is wonderful. I think when I'm stressing out today, I think I'm going to go start deadheading. Those <laughs> there baskets. you go. There, that'll make you feel better. It really does. <laughs> so listen, I'm so excited to be seeing you today. I know you're going to come at noon. We're going to have lunch together. And Stephanie Stuckey of Stuckey's Pecans is going to meet and greet with you. And Tiffany, who's created um, Ava the Elephant and a new probiotics, she wants to meet with you. And we got a floral designer coming from St. Philip's Episcopal Church. Oh. But I am so excited. I do have a special request. Okay. Can I may I give away two tickets to one of your lucky listeners today? That's great. Yeah, to partake in today's Ackworth Blooms. It's by the Ackworth Cultural Arts um, from eight thirty till five. So you kind of have all day to mosey to go. And you mentioned uh, Paige that it's the Roberts School there in Ackworth. Yeah, we can absolutely give two tickets to someone who may that want. Find their way that to would Ackworth. be awesome. If they if they want to come at eight thirty to nine for coffee and rosemary scones, that's great. Or if they want to come at ten thirty to meet the mayor of Ackworth and to meet Stephanie Stuckey and listen to her till noon, or if they want to arrive at noon when you arrive, or if they just want to come at three o'clock for we're going to have pastries, tea, and coffee at three and shopping until five, and it's open to the public at noon to five free of charge. And before that, it's only $25 to see all this great talent. Yeah, and you mentioned Stephanie Stuckey, and people are like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Yes, of Stuckey's, the CEO now of Stuckey's, her family's business. So, um, Paige, what I'm going to do, I'll have someone call 404-872-0750. The first person that calls 404-872-0750 and just tells Anne, hey, you know, I'm going to be around in Ackworth today. I would love those tickets. Uh, we will hook you up with Miss Paige, and we'll make sure you... Uh, get to Ackworth today and have all of that to enjoy. I'm looking forward to it, Paige. Thank you very much. This is going to be a beautiful day for it. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to sharing a pimento cheese sandwich with you today. Oh, my gosh, that sounds amazing. And I had a pimento cheese sandwich. Uh, thankfully, one of my coworkers brought one from uh, the Masters tournament. I can't say which coworker because... This coworker did not bring pimento cheese sandwiches for everyone. So I'm I'm ready. So the sea fruit, the citrus plant that you purchased down in Fort Lauderdale, they say that it's good for zone 11. That's hot, 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 hot. Southern Florida, we're talking Miami. We're talking the southwest coast of California. Uh, there in the Pacific Ocean, of course. So we are zone 7B, generally. This part of Georgia, zone 7B. And when you're thinking about... Purchasing plants, and you know, many of you want those palm trees, you want those banana trees, you want the tropical stuff, the Myers lemon. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why we tell you some of those are just better in pots. Now, traditionally, uh, palm trees and, and banana trees generally don't do well. They don't overwinter in Georgia, but it has gotten warmer. We have had more and more and more mild winters. So, People are having luck. And some of those banana trees, when they start to look really bad in the wintertime, you just chop them down and new growth will certainly emerge in spring. And a lot of you are starting to see that now coming back to be two, three feet tall now. Um, but something with this sea fruit or anything else that is not labeled for at least zone, you know, six, seven, eight, somewhere in and around our area you obviously want to make that an indoor-outdoor plant, you know, being able to bring it out, let it get all the sunshine like a Christmas cactus. It's a cactus. All of the sun that it needs in the summertime, recharge its batteries, get new growth, do all that, and then in the wintertime be able to bring those things in. So when we're talking about what zone we are, it's plant hardiness zones, okay? So that's how you determine where is a plant going to be hardy based on where I live. So the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, created this map. A lot of gardeners know it. They live by it. 
especially if they move around a lot. If you are moving from Kansas and you're in Zone 6 to pretty mild Zone 7B here in the Metro Atlanta area, you're going to be able to maybe, you know, have a vegetable garden a lot longer for the season and those kinds of things. The map is based on the average annual minimum winter temperature. So that's why it's determining the hardiness of a plant in a certain area. They take the average annual minimum winter temperature. And then when we talk about Zone 7A, 7B, 8A, 8B, that kind of thing, all of those different zones are really just a difference of 10 degrees. So that's why we are so different. Our average minimum winter temperature here in Atlanta, if we're in zone 7, and you're talking about zone 11 in South Florida, that's a pretty substantial difference of 40 degrees. They're generally 40 degrees warmer in the wintertime than us. So that's why it's important to pay attention to what, you know, what the label says, the requirements of the plant, whether it needs full sun, whether it tolerates shade, that kind of thing. And hopefully the nurseries and reputable places near us as we go shopping are going to be selling plants that are, you know, good for our area. That way you are not just set up to fail. But I love that. I love I love experimenting with something new. I don't know how big a seafruit's going to get. I don't know much about it, Paige, but I think you're going to have really good luck if you just plan to baby it in the wintertime, take care of it, and bring it in and out. So, um, yeah, my website, again, wsbradio.com backslash green and growing to find out the link for Ackworth Blooms, the inaugural garden symposium today. Garden Fair uh, by North Fulton Master Gardeners. That's exciting at Wills Park. And Monarchs and Margaritas at the Dunwoody Nature Center. That is this evening. And our friend, Jim Bearden, uh, is doing a Bluebird Trail walk and talk tour at Green Meadows Preserve. And he only does maybe three or four of those uh, a season. So the Bluebird Trail walk and talk tour at Green Meadows Preserve. You can meet out there in West Cobb this morning at 10 o'clock to partake in that. And that brings me back to Jim was one of the first people, sweet, sweet, that I interviewed uh, on the show about three years ago when I was trying to get all these new guests and meet all these people and, you know, educate myself and educate all of you. So I want you to hear a little bit about the uh, visit I had to Green Meadows Preserve years ago, but all that Jim had to teach me about bluebirds and why I have now fallen in love with them. Green Meadows Preserve. Have you heard of it? It's in West Cobb County and off of Highway 120 for those of you that are Cobb County residents and maybe not. Maybe you've never heard of it. Well, I came along today and I want to introduce you to somebody, Jim Bearden. He has a vested interest in the Green Meadows Preserve and is the vice president of the Friends of Green Meadows. There's a lot of cool stuff being done here other than the walking trails, the 185-year-old Southern Red Oak acres of just natural beauty that you need to see. I want you to learn a little bit more about Jim's weekly tasks that he volunteers to do, watching and maintaining and keeping a close eye on 30 bluebird nesting boxes. When we identify a bluebird nest, what materials do they use? They like pine straw. And when it's available, that's their material of choice. Chickadees like uh, moss and hair. Uh, wrens like sticks and grass and hair. So you can always tell what species it is by the material they're using. Sometimes I go out here and if I don't clean it fast enough, if I have a chickadee, I'll have a bluebird bill on top of it. And then if something happens and they don't lay their eggs, a wren will come in and build on top of that. Which parent is responsible for doing most of the construction? Both build the nest. Only the female can lay the eggs, and only she can incubate the eggs. And while she's sitting on the eggs, the male feeds her. He brings her food. 
And then after they fledge, they are all responsible for feeding them because the babies, after they fledge, are not capable of feeding themselves for the first 30 days after they leave the nest. I guess we'll start with the courtship between the bluebirds. Well, the male is the one that finds the nest site, so he's the one that checks out the uh, the nest box, and then he has a whole little song and, and flirtation uh, routine that he goes through. Once she decides that she wants to move in with him, then they start building a nest, and normally it takes uh, about a week. And then once she starts laying eggs, she lays one egg a day, up until five or six eggs, so usually it's four to five, that's the norm brood. She takes a break, goes and finds insects and exercises, because once she starts incubating, she's confined to that box a lot. So once she starts sitting on the eggs, it takes her 12 days of sitting on the eggs to incubate them to hatch. And then once the eggs hatch, uh, they're very good housekeepers. They um, take all the shells out, all the waste sacks out. From the time they hatch, because they all hatch the same day, it takes 19 to 20 days for them to develop to the point that they can fledge and leave the nest. Once they leave the nest, they fly to a perch or then up into the trees. And then for the first 30 days after that, you see them out, you see little specks on their chest and four or five of them will be lined up on a limb crying and begging for the parents to feed them and the parents feed them they're not born with the knowledge of how to feed themselves so the parents have to teach them and one quick question you mentioned earlier how smart bluebirds are what's maybe one thing people would be surprised to know about bluebirds they don't want a neighbor they don't want to see their neighbor Uh, think of a football field they don't want to be any closer than 100 yards to their neighbor So I did a test site to try to help with the competition of the tree swallows and the bluebirds. Knowing I wouldn't get bluebirds in both, but I was hoping to get tree swallows in one and a bluebird in one. Bluebirds built a fake nest in one box, then built a real nest and laid their eggs and hatched their babies in the the box next to it. So they're pretty smart. It's pretty cunning. One of the questions I always ask about bluebird houses, nest boxes such as this, Is it true they have to face a certain direction? They have to be mounted at a certain height? Is that true or false for just the standard homeowner? True. Should be six feet tall. Um, Should always face east because we get less bad weather out of the east. And then we get the morning sun so they can warm up in the mornings after a cool night. We're encouraging people to put up correct nest boxes in their yards so that we have more places for them to go and make nests and reproduce. What varieties of bluebirds do we see here in Georgia? Just one kind? The eastern bluebird. And their territories from Canada all the way to the northern part of Florida. The nesting seasons, like March to end of August, then during the winter, they live in the trees. They don't migrate. The eastern bluebirds, they stay here. And today, I came to Green Meadows Preserve. This is just natural beauty that you need to see. Undiscovered treasure. It's being discovered uh, recently. But it's a beautiful park. It's a passive park. It's meant for walking, uh, your dogs, uh, hiking. Just a gorgeous place to see a lot of birds and see a lot of plants and flowers. And great place to have picnics. And we just ask that you leave no trail behind. Take everything with you that you bring in. So respect the park and uh, she'll take care of us for years to come. Happy trails to you, Jim. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming out.
All right, the weekend weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing from meteorologist Christina Edwards. Mostly cloudy today and humid, too. A stray shower possible later in the evening, a high of 78, and then scattered showers, your ball game or whatever may get rained out tomorrow, high of 64 and low of 50. And then we're going to be starting the work week, as, as has been the trend, uh, with sunny skies, highs in the upper 60s to low 70s. 404-872-0750. Back out to the phones. James calling from McDonough. Hi, James. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? Great. What's going on? Uh, I've got a two-story uh, bluebird house that I've rebuilt twice. Uh, it's six foot off the ground, mm-hmm. and it's facing north and south. I found out that I, uh, the when I put it east and west, uh, they don't nest there. Hmm. They nest when it's north and south. But uh, last year they didn't nest. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, do I need to clean all the holes out uh, and put let them put in new uh, pine straw? Or Yes, absolutely. And so Jim Bearden covered that with me as well. Um, clean the nests out, like when you know that a family has already left and you're kind of keeping an eye on it. Clean out the dry dust. You may need to wear a mask because that can get pretty gross. Um, Jim, with as many as he's cleaning out, apply ivory soap to the inside top for wasps. That's, you know, just kind of a little more safe. Uh, Spray with one part bleach to nine parts water. So really, really diluted bleach. That's going to kill any mites if they had been living in the box because that'll deter the bluebirds as well. And then close up the box once it's cleaned in. And also, too, if another bird has started nesting in it and it's the wrong materials, like he said, they use pine straw, the bluebirds do. But if it's any other nesting material, a bluebird's going to be deterred by that, thinking already... Someone else has established a home in there. So clean it out, make it fresh, use that ivory soap to combat wasps, and then the diluted bleach to kill any mites, and that will make it a lot more hospitable for the bluebirds. Great question. Thanks for the call. We'll be back in the 7 o'clock hour. It's Green and Growing, live on WSB.